So one of my most favorite inventions in the modern era is uh, GPS on your phone. How nice is it to have turn-by-turn directions everywhere you want to go? I can remember growing up on family vacations, if you were riding shotgun in the front seat, you had the Atlas, right? And you were helping mom or dad navigate. And my memory of that is many times going, oops, that was our exit as we're passing by, right? And, and after the Atlas, then there was uh, MapQuest. Do you guys remember MapQuest? Where you could print out turn-by-turn directions. And I thought that was amazing until I would hit a road closure. <laughs> Printed pages don't recalculate, right? So often I would be stuck trying to find my way after MapQuest directions went out the window. And then there's GPS that recalculates. It tells you right where you need to go. And I love it as an invention. And yet even GPS has its limitations. And this is something that two men in August of this year discovered as they were exploring uh, Death Valley National Park. They're exploring this park and they get kind of way out in the backcountry, uh, old logging roads, old rural back roads. And, and the GPS gets a little finicky sometimes. It doesn't always know the, the, the lesser known back roads. And so they're, they're navigating through Death Valley National Park and they start to notice that they're getting low on fuel. And it's at, also at this moment that they realize the GPS is taking them in a direction that they don't want to go. They're not entirely sure what to do, but as they're driving, they look out and they see this large, flat expanse, and they go, let's take a shortcut. And so they turn off of the gravel road that they were on, and they start driving across this large, flat expanse. Little did they know, they're driving across this thing called the Salt Flats in Death Valley National Park. Super illegal to drive across, but they just keep driving. And much to their dismay as they drive, they notice that they're putting deep ruts in the salt flats. It's kind of muddy, soft ground. And the car gets slower and slower and slower until finally they feel that moment where the front end sinks deep into the mud and they're stuck. They get out and they try as hard as they can to push the car out. You know, they've got it in reverse and they're pushing and pushing and it's no use because the ruts are too deep and they're held too fast. So finally they split up, they end up finding help, but they, even with this extra group of people, couldn't push the car out. They had to get a skid steer, dig it out. Finally, after hours and hours and hours of work, they sort of got it extricated. They had to put it on a flatbed truck. They faced criminal charges, all because they thought we could make this route work. And they got stuck fast. And you can imagine, right, that moment of panic as they are driving and the ruts get deeper and deeper and deeper until they finally get stuck. And I think for some of us, as we talk about this idea of ruts, ungodly patterns of living and thinking, I think for some of us, this is our experience, like these two guys. We start on this course of action. We start on this course of thinking and living, and we see that it's, it's sort of a rut. It's not exactly what we would want. And over time, we think, well, if I just keep pushing through and you find that rut, that ungodly pattern of living and thinking in your life, getting deeper and deeper and deeper until for many of us, we find ourselves stuck in a place and we go, this isn't what I want. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to function like this, but I don't know how to get out of it. And so the question I want to push into today is how can we break free from ruts of wrong thinking and living and walk consistently in God's truth? Because that's how we were made and created to live. We were created to live and walk in relationship with God in the truth of God's word. And yet for so many of us, we find ourselves stuck in this rut of wrong thinking and living that sort of holds us in bondage and captivity. So how can we break free of this and experience the freedom and the fullness of life that God calls us to? Now, hopefully you remember last week, we talked about the the story of the people of Israel. They'd been in bondage and captivity in slavery in Egypt for generations. 
And finally, God is leading them to freedom. And as we looked at their story last week, we got to this place where Israel hits a hard moment. They're tired of eating manna. They, they want to eat meat. They want more variety. And so they start complaining and they distrust God's provision. And, and they, they start saying, maybe we should go back to Egypt. And so we looked at how for the nation of Israel, their rut, their, their consistent pattern of wrong thinking and living was complaint, distrust of God, and a desire for Egypt. And over and over again, they find themselves caught in this place of complaint and distrust of God. And maybe we should just go back to Egypt. Only Egypt is a place of bondage and slavery. Egypt is a place of death. Egypt is not a place of living and walking in the freedom and truth that God has called his people to. So that this week, we're going to pick up the story of Israel as we push into this question, how do we break free from ruts of wrong living and thinking? Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Verse 17. When Moses sent them up to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for their first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Libo Hamath. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole Israelite assembly, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who'd gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And once again, we see Israel falling right back into this pattern of complaint, distrust of God, and a desire to go back to Egypt. And, and the funny thing is they're at this point in their journey where they're literally right at the front porch of the promised land. They're right at this entry point where God says, listen, I've given you this land. It flows with milk and honey. It's a place of abundance. I want you to just go check it out. And as they explore the land, they see these, these large tribes of people this seem like great warriors. They see these large fortified cities. And so there's this promise on the one hand that God says, I've given you this land. That's the word of God to the people of Israel. And yet as they look at the land, they see all of the challenges and they go, well, great. God led us all this way just to let us die here. They're going to carry off our wives and children as plunder. Let's just go back to Egypt. 
right? And you see again, this unhealthy pattern of merge. And for the people of Israel, a rut of wrong thinking prevented them from walking in the fullness of God's truth, of his purpose, and of his potential for his people. They're right there. They're right at the promised land. And God says, go in, check it out. I'm going to give it to you. Yes, there's going to be a struggle. Yes, there'll have to be a conquest for the land, but it's yours. I've promised it to you. And instead, Israel responds with doubt, disbelief, complaint, and a desire for Egypt. So how do they begin to get freed from this rut of wrong thinking? How how do we, in our own patterns of ungodly living and thinking, how do we find freedom? As we unfold the story of Israel, we're going to see some key insights for us to begin to find freedom from wrong living and wrong thinking. So number one, we need to divert ruts of wrong thinking with a trench of truth. This is where we ended last week. We need to divert ruts of wrong thinking by digging a trench of truth. Now, as we flesh this out, let me put up this uh, definition of a rut and a trench. On the top, a, a rut is typically formed in mud and becomes a nuisance, even a danger. A rut is unintentionally created, right? No, nobody with a gravel drive, bless you, nobody with a gravel driveway says, you know what would really help? It would really help if I had two like foot deep ruts in my driveway, right? Nobody's out there intentionally putting ruts in their driveway. They're unintentionally formed because the ground is soft and it's receptive. And over time, driving back and forth, ruts form. Now, they have no purpose and they're going to require repair. A trench, on the other hand, has a specific purpose and it fixes an existing problem. A trench is something that you dig purposefully and intentionally. And so when we talk about digging a trench of God's truth, here's the, the key point. We have to identify the lies that we're living in and declare God's truth in that place. Identify the lies that we're living in and declare God's truth in that place. Because what happens is if a lie goes unchecked, we continue being deceived, living and thinking along that pattern, that that disposition gets more deeply and deeply rutted and rooted in our lives unless we divert it with a trench of God's truth and say, no, no, I'm going to reorient my life towards the truth of God that brings freedom. So let me show you a picture to demonstrate maybe how this works. This is a picture of a hiking trail. And if you've ever been on a hiking trail, especially one where there's some elevation change, maybe you've seen something like this. There's two rocks across the trail, and on this side of the rock, there's a trench. Now, the reason in state parks, national parks, that rangers or trail maintenance crews do this is because hiking trails are also great drainage ruts. When there's rain, water's going to follow the path of least resistance. And so when it rains, water will just flow down a hiking trail, uh, creating really deep ruts that just erode into it. So what trail maintenance crews do is they will dig this trench. And what the trench does is it diverts the water off the trail, changing the course of the water and effectively preserving the integrity of the trail. So with that sort of metaphor and image in your mind, this is what we're talking about, right? We have a rut of wrong thinking, a rut of wrong living that is rooted in our lives. We have to cut across that with a trench of God's truth to divert the course of our lives. So we don't continue to live and think and remain in places of self-deception. So let's go back to this uh, picture we talked about last week, right? We talked about how these ruts develop, that there's lies that become beliefs, that become thoughts and actions. And all of this, right? It's a rut. It wears deep grooves in our lives. And so we continue to live and function in a place that is less than what God has for us. 
Now, what we have to recognize, church, is that the core and the root problem of all of this is sin, right? We live in a sinful, broken world that has rebelled against God's plan and purpose for his people. And because we live in a sinful, broken world, there, there is deception, there is untruth. And we are uh, day by day confronted with the lies of culture, the lies of, of the hurts and wounds that we've suffered because we live in a broken world. Now where that lie goes unchecked and it becomes belief and thought and action, we find ourselves living with thoughts and actions, a disposition that is sinful and broken. And it will lead us inevitably to a place of bondage. It will lead us to a place of living that is so much less than what God has designed and created for us to live in. So when we talk about digging a trench of truth, what I mean is we need to subvert this process, digging a trench of God's truth. And what this looks like is confession on the one hand, Lord, here's ways that I am walking in deception in my life. It's not only confession, it's repentance. And repentance, the, the Hebrew word for repentance in the Old Testament is this word teshuva, and it literally means to turn or to return. Repentance is this recognition of places where as we bring God's truth to compare alongside of our lives, we begin to see that there's places that we've been walking in deception. There's places where our thoughts and actions have been not what God would have for us, but a sinful disposition. And so repentance is this moment of saying, Lord, I see and I recognize your truth. I am reorienting my life back towards a pursuit of you, Lord. And in this, right, it's a declaration of God's truth going to the truth of scripture, rooting our lives deeply in the truth of scripture. And what happens is as we surrender our lives over to God, as we confess and repent and declare God's truth, and as we uh, surrender our lives over to Jesus, right? What happens is transformed living, rooted in truth. And the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives through the truth of God begins to bring freedom from the rut that we find ourselves locked in. Now, let's watch what this looks like for the people of Israel. They, they've heard this word. This is the land I'm giving you. God says that, chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. He says, Moses, send people into the land I'm giving you. It's yours. This is my promise. This is the truth of God. And of course, you saw the, the, the report of the spies. The people who live here are large. The cities are fortified. We can't attack them. What Joshua and Caleb do is they continue to declare God's truth right in the middle of this deception. Right? Because the, the perceptions of the people of Israel, the large fortified cities, the large uh, uh, warriors, right? They're, they're deceived into thinking, we can't step into what God has called us to. And what you'll watch is as the story unfolds, Joshua and Caleb go, no, let's root our lives in the truth of God's word. So, so watch what happens here. There's this comparison between how the spies re respond contrasted with the truth that Joshua and Caleb bring. So let's switch that out uh, to this um, chart of comparison if we can. So the spies, when they go and explore the city, this is the end of chapter 13, verse 31. They go, we can't attack those people in the promised land. Joshua and Caleb, though, rooted in the promise of God's truth, they said, the Lord will give us this land. And they're saying that because this is the promise that God spoke to the people of Israel. This is the inheritance that God's given us. Of course we can go up and, and conquest in the land of Canaan. Likewise, the spies go, well, they're stronger than we are, and we seemed like grasshoppers to them. Which I, I find this to be just a funny observation. How, how do they know that they look like grasshoppers to these people, right? It's not like they went up and were like, 
excuse me, uh, would you say in your, we look shorter than average? Like, like you would say we're like grasshoppers, right? Right? They, they didn't do that. This is, this is their own fear talking, right? They're living in this place of deception. They go, well, there's no way that we can even begin to come against them. They're stronger than we are. We seem like grasshoppers to them. And Joshua and Caleb, though, rooted in truth, here's their declaration. Don't be afraid of them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do you see how Joshua and Caleb are continually rooted in God's truth while the people of Israel are deceived? The, the last point that the spies make, the land devours those living in it. We're not going to make it. Joshua and Caleb, here's their declaration of truth. The land is exceedingly good. Not just good, it's exceedingly good. We will devour them. We will have victory because this is what God promised. And so church, just like Joshua and Caleb, we need to be rooted in the truth of God and divert ruts of wrong thinking and, and patterns of wrong living with declarations of God's truth. So I want you to even begin to now, where are those places in your life where you find yourself walking not in God's truth, but living according to cultural lies or living according to places of woundedness and brokenness in your own life, in bondage and in freedom, to ways of living that are so much less than what God would have for us? So the question still is, okay, how, how do we divert ruts of wrong thinking with the trench of truth? Number two is this. We have to not only declare the truth in our lives, but then to walk in truth, right? It's not enough to just declare it. We have to walk in obedience to the truth of God. We need to conform our lives to it. And so the tension, right? The question is, will we receive or reject the truth of God? Right? We have the truth of God's word. The question is, what will you do with this? Will you receive it and order your life around it? Or will we reject the truth of God? Now, in the story of the people of Israel, Joshua and Caleb, right? They give this rousing speech. We can go in, we can take the land. We're going to have victory. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. And, and if this were some kind of like Hollywood movie, the people of Israel would be ready for battle and they'd go and we're going to take the land, right? You can kind of feel the, the blood pressure rising as people get excited. Only this is Israel. And they don't listen to this declaration of truth. Listen to what happens in verse 10. Joshua and Caleb give this rousing speech. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid. Verse 10. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Kind of anticlimactic, isn't it? They give this rousing speech about God's truth. And the people of Israel are like, yeah, we should put him to death. This seems like the right thing to do. Right? And then it says, then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I performed for them? Jumping over to verse 20, God says this. He replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. And so because Israel rejected the truth of God, they faced the judgment of God. And what God says is this generation, none of them will see the promised land. And if you keep reading Numbers chapter 14, you'll find that Israel wanders in the desert for 40 more years after this because they rejected the truth of God's word and the plan and the purpose that he had for his people. And so church, the importance is not only do we declare God's truth, but the question and the tension for us is, will we receive God's truth and will we walk faithfully in it? Will we conform our life to the truth of God's word? So in the New Testament, John uh, writes this to his friend Gaius. This is 3 John chapter 1. 
the elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth. I love that phrase. What John is saying is Gaius is this person who walks faithfully in the truth. Now, to walk faithfully in the truth means that Gaius doesn't just know the truth. He's walking in obedience to the gospel. He's walking in obedience to the truth of God's word. John continues, and he says, I have no greater joy, verse 4, than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. In other words, living faithfully according to the word of God, conforming our lives to God's truth. Paul says something similar in Romans chapter 12. We talked about this a little bit last week. In Romans chapter 12, as Paul writes to the church at Rome, he he says this in uh, chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, this is total surrender. This is saying, God, all of my life belongs to you. My time, my talents, my energy, everything that I am, Lord, I'm surrendering to you. And Paul continues, he says, offer your bodies as a holy sacrifice, living and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Church, where we have been walking in deception, where we have been walking in patterns and ways of thinking and living that are rooted in a sinful, rebellious culture, we are conforming to the patterns of this world. And Paul says, don't conform any longer to that pattern. The pattern of this world is one that leads to bondage and brokenness and destruction. He says, don't conform any longer to that pattern. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, one thing we need to notice about both of those things, notice that Paul says, be transformed. He doesn't say transform yourself. This is not something I try harder to do. As I submit and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my life, God does the transformative work in me. And he says, be transformed by the renewing. That word renewing is is passive. It doesn't mean that I renew my own mind. It means that as I surrender to Jesus Christ and he does a transformative work in me, God begins to change how I think. The Holy Spirit begins to renew my mind. As I'm saturated in the truth of God's word, I begin to think about God's truth and I begin to think in a way that is conformed to the pattern of God's word, not conformed to the pattern of this world. But we don't break free from ruts of wrong thinking by working harder in our flesh. We break free from ruts of wrong thinking by fully surrendering to the power of Jesus Christ, to his lordship, and God does the transformative work in us as we confess and repent and open up our lives in full surrender to Jesus Christ. That's the beauty and the hope of the gospel that Jesus Christ has already paid the price and done the work to bring us freedom. It's a matter of stepping into that truth and walking in conformity with him. So here's the question, right? Will we conform our lives to the pattern of God's word? Will we conform our lives to the pattern of God's truth? Because the reality is, church, the truth of God is transformative. When we live and walk in the truth of God, it changes our lives. It changes how we live. It changes how we function. I I, want to leave us with three points that kind of demonstrate how the truth transforms. And to do this, we're going to look at Psalm 119. Alan, if you want to switch over uh, to my screen, let, let me read this for you. 
Psalm 119, beginning in verse 97, the psalmist says this. He says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. I've taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous decrees. And church, as I read this, there's a, a few things that strike me. One is notice how the writer of the psalmist delights in God's word. He says, I love your law. I love it. The, the word of God's truth is not a duty for him. It's not just a discipline for him. He goes, I love your law. And notice how he describes it. He says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now, this is a culture where refined white sugar didn't exist, right? Honey was the, one of the sweetest delicacies in their diet. And so when he says, your words are, are, are to my taste sweeter than honey to my mouth, he's saying, I take deep delight. I love the word of God. And, and as the psalmist writes through this, you begin to see how transformative the word of God is in his life. Number one, you see that God's truth brings wisdom, insight, and understanding. Now wa watch how the psalmist builds on this. He says, your commands are always with me, making me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all of my teachers. I have more understanding than the elders. I gain understanding from your precepts. And, and did you notice, not only does he gain wisdom, insight, and understanding, but this builds enemies, teachers, elders, right? There's a progression here. He says, those people who stand opposed to me, my enemies who would come against me, he goes, I have this wisdom of God's word to guide me and to direct me and to protect me. I'm wiser than my enemies. Do you want to be wiser than the people who would oppose you? Be rooted in God's word, right? And, and then he goes, I, I have more insight than all my teachers, in the teachers in the Jewish culture, these would be the experts in the word of God. These would be the experts in the law. But what the writer of the Psalms is saying is as I'm rooted in the truth, God's truth brings more insights than even the best teachers. I have more understanding than the elders, right? And the elders, these are the people of, of wisdom and maturity in the culture. But he says, as I'm rooted in God's truth, his word brings greater understanding than even the wisest of the elders. And God's truth is transforming and bringing wisdom and insight and understanding. And notice too, how God's work redirects our path. He says, I've kept my feet from every evil path. Why? So that I can obey your word. And there's this reality that walking in conformity to the word of, of, of God keeps us. It's a guardrail that, that helps keep us from walking along evil paths. Likewise, the psalmist says, I have not departed from your, your laws. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. I hate, therefore, I gain understanding. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Now, there's this progression from evil path, right, to wrong path, to saying your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. He's saying as I walk rooted in the word of God, I'm kept from evil paths. As I walk in conformity to the word of God, did you notice his phrase, I hate every wrong path? In other words, he says, as I live rooted in the word of God, my desires change. I don't even want to go down a wrong path. I want to live rooted in the truth of God's word, walking in the freedom that truth brings. And he says, the word of God, it brings direction as it provides a lamp to my feet, 
The, the word of God helps provide wisdom and insight and direction that gives clarity to the path that we're walking, that helps keep our feet from stumbling. And the word of God is transformative in the life of the psalmist. And I believe, church, that the word of God is transformative for us today. So the question is, will we declare God's truth in places where we've lived in a sinful, rebellious disposition? And not only will we declare it, but will we walk in conformity to it? Will we walk in obedience with it? And finally, will we live saturated in the truth of God that transforms? Now, let me leave us with three real practical things to excavate a trench of truth. Number one, identify your lies and ruts and name them. Where do you find yourself walking in deception? Where do you find yourself getting stuck in a sinful disposition that you go, I just, I need to be free from this. Name it. There's something confessional about saying, Lord, this is an area that I struggle to walk in obedience. Secondly, as you identify the area, dig a trench of truth rooted in God's word. What I mean by that is search the scriptures and apply God's truth to that place in your life. And third, then declare it repeatedly in your life. Make a declaration of God's truth in your own words. And so, so it's simply this. Name the places where you're walking and struggling uh, with a rut. Search the scriptures and apply that truth to your life and put a declaration of truth in your own words. So l- l- let me talk through what this might look like. Maybe you wrestle with worry and anxiety and it's just sometimes keeps you held down. I feel this, I resonate with this. There are some days that I feel anxious and it feels hard to function. And, and so I search the truth of God's word and I see things like Philippians four that says, don't be anxious about every, anything, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You might turn that into a declaration, a, a prayerful declaration of truth that says, Jesus, I will bring my anxieties before you in prayer. And trust that as I give them to you, your peace will guard my heart and mind. By the way, I've always loved that image of God's peace as a guardian over my heart and mind. Maybe you're uh, married, you're a husband, and you just, you've struggled to serve your, and love your wife well. Maybe it's a challenging season in your marriage and, and your, your struggle with doing conflict well. And, and you read Ephesians 5, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Maybe your prayerful declaration of truth is, I will love and serve my wife sacrificially today. Maybe you're someone who wrestles with anger. And you find you've got a short fuse and anger is right there, quick to jump to the surface. And so you read Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 that says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil a foothold. Jesus, today, I will not let my anger drive me. I will not give the devil space to operate in my life. Or or maybe you go to James uh, chapter one, where it says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. And maybe it's Jesus today. I will listen before I speak. Before I jump to anger, I'm going to listen. I'm going to hold back. Jesus, give me patience. But, or maybe you struggle with speaking harshly to coworkers or your wife or your kids or your husband, and, and, you, and you struggle to be kind and compassionate. And so you look at like Colossians 3.12, Right? It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Maybe then your prayerful declaration of truth is this. Jesus, today I will walk in my identity as one of your chosen people. By your grace, I will be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient. 
right? Those are just examples. Here's what I want you to do. Here's your homework. I want you to walk through this process. Identify a rut in your life, name it. Search the scriptures. And if you have to, there's nothing wrong with using Google. What does the Bible say about anger? That's fine. Then go to God's word. As as you look that up, go to the Bible and and read that passage. And then I want you to make a declaration of God's truth in your life. And, And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take it the next step. We love our cell phones, right? We have them with us all the time. Here's what I want you to do. Make your declaration a daily reminder. Set it to pop up at like seven in the morning. Pops up, boom, there's that declaration. Today, I will live in my identity as one of God's chosen people. I will be compassionate, kind, humble, and gentle by God's grace. Let that declaration be one of the first things that you see. Click into that reminder, read it, and just make it a prayer. Lord, today, let anger not be the thing that drives me. Father, where I am prone to having a short fuse and quick to jump to anger, let the enemy not have space to operate in my life. And my hope, church, and my prayer is that as we declare God's word in those places where we've been struggling with a rut, that we find the truth and the hope and the freedom that God's word brings. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that a scripture says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so, Father, for the places where we have been listening to, to lies, and we've been deceived and we find ourselves rooted in ways of thinking and living that are not what you would have for us. God, I pray that we would be a diligent people who search your word of truth, who declare your truth in our lives. And and not just declare your truth, Lord, but we would receive your word of truth and that we would walk in conformity, that we would be people like Gaius and third John, that we would walk faithfully in the truth, Lord. And we don't do that in our own strength. Father, give us the the, the courage and the grace to surrender our lives fully to you, Lord. To walk in conformity with your word, your ways, and your wisdom. And I pray, Lord, that we would be set free from the things that hold us in bondage. In your power and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.